Welcome to Maison Mission. I'm Miranda, and I'm really glad that you've tuned in with us today. Maison is a Greek word that means greater. Maison Mission is all about creating greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. A couple of announcements before we get started. Next week, we'll be joining with our friends at First Christian Church of Gainesville for a combined gathering at 10.30 a.m. We're combining everything. The music will be a team of people from both Maison and FCC. Drake and Kevin will both be sharing an encouraging message with us, and together we'll be sharing an open table communion. It's going to be an awesome time. We hope you can join us 10.30 a.m. this Sunday at FCC. Also, after the joint service on Sunday morning, we'll be having a potluck with FCC. No sign up this time, but please bring a dish to share. Our next Maison Live is in two weeks on November 6th. We'll be starting a new compassion series that will look at all of our mission partners and how we can all share in the effort to make the world a more compassionate place. Service is at 5 p.m. at FCC. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Drake Cromer Moore as he shares with us the conclusion to our series, Virtue Signals. felt like giving up? When you were a kid, maybe it was math homework where you couldn't wrap your head around multiplication tables or geometry proofs like me, or maybe it was sports where you've struck out one too many times. Now that you're an adult, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's continuing education. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's even the church or even God. I feel like if there's anybody in your house church that's thinking to themselves that they've never ever felt like giving up, they're definitely lying to themselves. We've all been there, and some of us are there right now. We're thinking, if one more thing happens, I'm done. Enough is enough. Angela Duckworth, a researcher at Harvard and Oxford, asked this question, why do successful people succeed? She and her team went and researched three different categories to find out why people succeed. They went first to a famous military academy, then they went to some very challenging inner city schools, and lastly, they went and studied world-class spelling bee champions. They wanted to find out, out of those cadets who went to military school, which ones succeeded and which ones dropped out first, and why. When they went to the inner city schools, they wanted to find out which teachers were successful and went the distance and which ones caved in and quit before the end of the semester. And when they went to look at those brilliant fifth grade students who could spell words with 72 letters, they wanted to find out why some students who were equally talented would rise to the top and succeed, and some would cave under pressure. Why are some people more successful when others aren't? And what they discovered is this. We want to believe that it's IQ. We want to believe that people succeed because they're more intelligent. But Duckworth discovered it's not actually IQ, but it's AQ, adversity quotient. It wasn't just how smart they were, but it was how much they could overcome. It was not IQ, but AQ that mattered. Angela, she wrote this book called Grit. And in the book, she has this quote that I really like, and it says, Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. 
it's both passion, meaning something I'm excited about, but it's not just about passion, it's perseverance. We're not talking about fleeting passion or a spark of perseverance for a semester or for a few weeks. We're talking about showing up when it would be easier to walk away. We're talking about the virtue of perseverance. And so today we're going to go into the sixth chapter of the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua. The book's primary figure gives it its title. Joshua means Yahweh saves, and it seems like an appropriate name for the man who led Israel under God's command to a victorious conquest of the promised land. The events of the book of Joshua span about 25 years, starting around 1406 BC, recording the culmination of Israel's journey to the promised land. And over these 25 years of events, the author has a specific reality that he wants to convey to the audience. You see, some scholars believe that Joshua is trying to convey God as a general whom we should trust and obey, and that's not uncommon, especially not for the time. Joshua may have been trying to convey that, but the more important thing that he was trying to convey was that God was a promise keeper. Because it's in the book of Joshua that we see God fulfill God's promise to give the land of Canaan to Jacob's descendants. Let's dive into the text. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. I want to take a pause here and just talk about what the Israelites perception of God would be. You see, we have this understanding of God being everywhere, God being omnipresent, God being everywhere. Well, the Israelites believed that God was with them, but they believed that God was with them physically, that God was in that box, that he was in the Ark of the Covenant. So God was physically with them in this moment. Verse 7 says this, Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way, of, way in front of the Ark of the Lord. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. At this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. I don't know about you, but... I feel like if I was one of these Israelites with tired feet, I'd be like, I'm done, God. This is too much. First of all, right out of the gate, I just want to say that this story, like many parts of the Hebrew Bible, has some ugly stuff in it. Like the fact that Joshua believes that Yahweh tells him that the Israelites must destroy and kill everything within the walls of the city. I did gloss over it. Not because I want to deny that it's there, but because I'm telling you it's there, and I didn't want you to have to listen to me read more verses. So here I am addressing it. 
Some people believe this to be an historical account and others don't. But either way, this story has something to tell us about God's relationship to God's people. We can look behind the text to see the theological implications of the story. What does it say about God? What does it say about God's relationship to humanity? Sure, early Jews would have believed this story to be literal, but more importantly, the author is trying to convey his beliefs about God. Yeah, there's bad stuff that God's a warrior king, and it's in there, but the meat of this passage is God as a promise keeper. Remember when I said, I'm done, God? This is stupid. We've been marching around in silence for six days. There's no way this wall is coming down. Jericho is not a very big city. In fact, you could march around it in about an hour or so. So the problem wasn't that the city was big. The problem was that the walls were high. If you can imagine, the Israelites felt so close to the promise. It was just on the other side of the walls, but the walls were so high, the promise seemed impossible to obtain. Somehow, this makes the whole situation worse. An hour march. That means that in Henry Ford-style eight-hour workday, they would march around the city eight times. That means by the end of the sixth day, 48 times they would have marched around it. Maybe it'll happen on the fifth time. Maybe it'll happen on the sixth time. Oh wait, seven, that's the lucky number. Maybe it'll happen on, seven t- on the seventh time. No, by the end of the sixth day, they would have walked 48 times. And the promise seemed so close. Thing is, up to this point, the early Jews don't really have a phenomenal track record for obedience. They continually doubt what God is doing and God's promises to them. We see spies go into the promised land and decide that they shouldn't go where God is sending them. We see them wander in the desert 40 years. And so readers would think, here we go again. Here's another spot where Israel is going to be unfaithful. But I want to go back and look at verses 1 and 2. You see, verse 1, it says you can't go in, right? The the walls are going to be tightly shut. But then in verse 2, it says, I've already given it to you. Why would God do that? Because God is the only one who can speak in past tense before a present reality. In other words, God's the only one who can tell you what is when what isn't yet. You see, I wonder if some of us might be in a situation like that in our own lives, where what God says about us is different than what we see about us. What God says about us is different than what we feel about ourselves. In other words, God might say that you're healed, yet you feel broken. God might say that you're blessed, but you feel like God's forgotten you. God might say that you're an overcomer by the love of Jesus, but you feel like you're overcome every single day. Like, life is just too much. Come on, Joshua, we've already walked around this wall 40 times. Why is it that we so often feel that way? Why is it that we sometimes feel like things are true about ourselves or about our situations that God says something completely different about? Maybe it's because our perspective is often very limited. Just like these Israelites in the story. If you'll notice again in the first verses of this chapter... God tells Joshua, but Joshua doesn't tell them. God says to Joshua that they already have Jericho, that God has already given it to them. 
Joshua tells these troops to just go and march around the walls. They probably didn't know that God told Joshua that Jericho would be theirs, but they did know about the promise of their promised land. This was more than 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, wondering, where are you, God? And we're ready and you've promised, but you haven't. We believe that you will, even though it's so difficult to do at this point, God. We don't want to give up, but God, we just don't know if we see it. God, we don't have faith in this march anymore. Well, we're trying to have some faith because we know what you promised us. Verse 15 reads this way. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests surrounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. Forty-eight times around the city, blistering feet, forty years in the desert, and the walls come down. Why? Because they persevered. You see, they had a limited perspective. They didn't know what was going to happen next, but they chose to lean into the promises of their God, despite how hard it was. 48 marches around a city, 40 years in the desert. When those men were marching around Jericho, they wanted to give up. But when they wanted to give up, they remember why they started. What does that mean for us? What does it mean to want to give up and remember why you started? And this is the moment where I get a little bit vulnerable. You know, I grew up in a church of 10,000 people, and then I moved to a small Southern Baptist church, and I walked into this church of 250 people, and I said, wow, this is such a small church. And now I'm the pastor of a church of about 30 people. It's hard to be the pastor of a small church, where you feel like you have to do everything, where you feel like you're expected to put together a service that three people show up to. Sometimes I do feel like giving up, but when I feel like giving up, I remember why I started. I remember that I love God's church, that I want to see this kingdom grow. No matter how hard life gets, we're called to the virtue of perseverance because God says that we're not broken, but we're healed. God says that we're not lost, but we're loved. God says, even when we feel like we don't matter, that we do matter, that we were created for a reason, that we aren't messed up, that we are a masterpiece. So when we feel like giving up, we have to remember those truths. We have to remember why we started. You see, perseverance is a virtue in all walks of life, but especially when it comes down to shaping ourselves and our community to the way of Jesus. We have to remember God's promise, the promise of making all things new, that God is building a kingdom of love and compassion on this earth using this church. So when things get tough and we feel like giving up, just like those Israelites remembering God's promise of their promised land, we have to remember God's promise of bringing his kingdom here. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for this time that our house churches get to gather together and get to worship your name through discussion, through fellowship and community. 
God, I just pray that whatever time that we're meeting, whether it be morning or afternoon or night, that we would continually grow aware of your presence in these places. That we would remember when we feel like giving up why we started, but we would remember what you say about who we are. God, we pray that you'd be with us as we go throughout our week. Help us to constantly remember the truths about who we are to you, that we, are, that we matter, that we are masterpieces created by a loving God. God, we ask all of this in your holy, your heavenly, your strong name. Amen. Thank you.